This episode is brought to you by Birthsong Botanicals, whose Let There Be Milk Herbal Breastfeeding Supplements help women to increase their breast milk supply. Head on over to birthsongbotanicals.com and check out Let There Be Milk. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics customers get a special 10% discount at checkout when they use the promo code Common Sense. That's two words, lowercase. Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and everything else. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and co-author of the book, The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion, and I'm a registered nurse who worked in the labor and delivery trenches for almost 20 years. I'm also a mama, and I'm big on using a big dose of common sense in just about every aspect of life. So that's why we started this podcast shortly after Common Sense was published. To talk about all of that, and we've been talking about pregnancy, motherhood, labor, birth, childcare, prenatal care, feminism, workplace policies, health insurance, birth practices, the whole thing for a real long time now. And what really excites me is that every day something or someone else pops up for us to talk about or to have a chat with, and it's usually something super relevant and timely, and yet kind of, you know, time-honored traditional. For instance, I was listening to NPR this morning while loading the dishwasher, and I heard a piece by Leslie McClurg on Morning Edition, and the piece was called, Home Birth Can Be Appealing, But How Safe Is It? Yes, of course I listened. And then I went over and I found it on the website and I read it. And then, yes, of course, I reached out to Ms. McClurg to invite her on the podcast as a guest. We'll see what happens there. Um, But this is one of those timely yet time-honored topics. It's timely because the number of women looking for out-of-hospital birth options, it's rising. And home birth is no longer considered to be, you know, just a weird hippie thing to do. It's time honored because most of the humans who've lived on this planet were born at home and most of them survived, as did their mothers. Now, that's not to say that millions of women don't die because of emergencies and complications and unsafe birth practices, as they continue to do in unsafe birth settings all over the world still today. It's just to say that Home birth has only been considered a weird option for about a hundred years, more or less. Nowadays, and for quite some time now, you know, it's way more than 90, 95% of births in the U.S. happen in hospitals, where most births and mothers and babies turn out just fine. But does that mean that hospital births are the only safe place to give birth? Moms and babies die there too, and numbers of those cases are on the rise and have been for decades now. Does that mean hospital births are unsafe? No, neither of those stances are absolutely true. Hospitals are neither unsafe for most women nor the only safe place to have a baby. Home births can and usually are very safe too. And there's a lot of data to back that up. Now, I want to read a bit from my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, where I write about this. And then we're going to talk to someone who knows a whole lot about home birth. Um, First, though, 
Now, if you haven't already picked up your copy of Common Sense Pregnancy, go do it, will you? Help a writer out. And it contains all the information you need to navigate your prenatal care, your pregnancy, your birth, so that, you know, both mama and baby come through real well. It's everywhere books are sold, but I'm going to give you a quick peek by reading a little bit of what's inside here today. And remember something, will you? I was a hospital-based labor and delivery nurse for decades, and my perspective is steeped in that culture. Here's what I wrote in chapter two, choosing your care. And I'm just going to read a a little chunk of it. How to pick where you'll have your baby. The statistics indicate that about 99% of you don't really have to pick. You already know where you'll have your baby. Of all American babies, 98.6% are born in hospitals. That's where your doctor or midwife delivers, where your insurance covers you, and where you feel is the safest place to deliver. Plus, hospitals have the epidurals, which many women consider an absolute must. If your decision is made, feel free to skip to the next section. If you want more options or want to understand why some women make other choices, though, read on. Uh Uh-oh, skipped a page. Here we go. You have four choices when deciding where to have your baby. One, at home. Two, in a birth setting located outside of and independent of a hospital. Three, in a birth center located inside or adjacent to a hospital. Four, at a hospital in the labor and delivery unit. At home. The number of women making the home birth choice has been increasing since 2004. For most women who have a home birth, it is a conscious choice. They don't just deliver at home because the baby came too fast. Some choose home birth because it's affordable or it's part of their culture or the closest hospital is too far away. Some are afraid of hospitals or their midwife only delivers at home. Some choose home because it offers privacy, autonomy, intimacy, and freedom, plus fewer medical interventions. Some are worried about the United States rising C-section rate and think their best option for delivering vaginally is with a home birth. In other parts of the world, home birth is fairly common. In the Netherlands, which has some of the best maternal health outcomes in the world, 23% of mothers deliver at home. In developing countries, home birth is extremely common, but so are high maternal mortality rates. In India, for example, more than half of all women deliver at home, but only about half of those women have skilled birth attendants. Consequently, their overall maternal mortality rate is severe, 200 deaths per 100,000 live births. That leads to the number one question most people have about home birth in the United States. Is it safe? That depends on the health of the mother and the baby, the skill of the midwife or naturopath, access to a nearby hospital, and a good emergency backup plan. Study results vary regarding its safety, but the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the American Medical Association are against home birth. Childbirth Connection, which is an independent nonprofit organization that provides up-to-date evidence-based pregnancy, labor, and birth organization, disagrees. They say studies show No evidence that hospital care offers clear safety benefits for low-risk childbearing families. A 2012 Cochrane review concluded that there's no strong evidence from randomized trials to favor either planned hospital birth or planned home birth for low-risk pregnant women. 
Many doctors and hospital-based midwives view home birth negatively, but that may be partly because their only experience is with the women who wind up in their emergency rooms after their home births have gone terribly wrong. They don't see the majority that turn out normal, healthy, and happy. As a nurse, I understand that perspective as well as the stress of salvaging a home birth gone awry, especially when a midwife or patient waits too long to come to the hospital for medical care. In cases like in the Netherlands and some U.S. hospitals, where the emergency transfer from home to hospital is swift, skilled, and compassionate, however, there tends to be less trauma and better outcomes for mothers, babies, and hospital staff. So, is home birth safe? It can be safe for low-risk, healthy women. Most women who choose home birth have a very positive experience. It's not a good choice, however, for women with medical problems or elevated risk for childbirth complications. Side note, in the United States, you can't have a home birth and pain medication. It's either or. In many parts of Europe, however, women have the option of using nitrous oxide, lapping gas, at home for safe, effective pain relief. Okay, I'm leaving it there, listeners. Go get the book to read about birth centers um, and, you know, of course, all of your labor and delivery hospital options. Uh, tell you what, let's take a quick break and let's then let's get on the line with this week's guest. This week, we're going to talk some more about home birth, home birth, excuse me, with a midwife who specializes in delivering healthy women and their babies safely at home. Maria Chowdhury is a midwife, herbalist, mother, and the creator of Birdsong Botanicals Herbal Company, who also sponsors this podcast. It's through her work as a home birth midwife for the past 17 years that she created all of Birdsong's herbal blends. So let's get Maria on the line. Hi, Maria. It's Jeannie. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing really well. It's uh, a snowy, cold day here in Portland, Oregon. Where are you right now? Well, I'm in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and yesterday it was so sunny and like signs of spring all over the place and kind of got us all leaping for joy. And today it's cold and rainy and gray. Yeah, you got my weather. And now we're back inside. <laughs> we're back inside with a hot yeah, cup I've of tea. Yeah, I've got one too. Just like winter yeah. is. So mm-hmm. listeners, Maria and I both get to slurp tea if we want to. Okay, no problems with that. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they should have a cup too. Grab a cup. <laughs> yeah. Well, my first big question to everybody is this. Who are you and what do you do? Who am I and what do I do? Isn't that the like, that's the question we should all be asking ourselves, who am I and how can I contribute? I know, I know. How can I contribute and find, be a part of the solution and do, be a force for good yeah. in the world? So um, who am I? My name is Maria Chaudhry and I'm a midwife and an herbalist and a mother and a friend. And I am a fellow midwife on this uh, journey that's helping women one woman at a time to give birth and dignity and with respect. And so they feel safe and feel informed and they feel like they can make decisions and know what to say yes to and know what they're going to say no to and feel good about that. Mm -hmm. And so my work as a midwife has really led me also to be, I'm also a lover of plants and herbs. So 
you know, when you're with the woman and she's having some common pregnancy symptoms like some swelling or insomnia or nausea, I'm like, oh, I bet I could make something for that. And then our, after they push their baby out and they want, they need to take a bath to help with their stitches and their swelling and their bleeding, I'm like, I can make something for that. And so it's through my work of being a midwife and being with all these women that I created my blends for birth song botanicals. And so that's what I do right now. I'm really in this place of introducing birth song to a larger, more global um, community and um, expanding my botanical line. Right. And when you're not working as a midwife and an herbalist, what else do you like to do? I like to practice Tai Chi. Yeah, so if I'm not practicing midwifery, I'm practicing Tai Chi. I actually just started teaching my first eight-week group of uh, practitioners to learn the Chen form, 18 movement form. And yeah, I spend a lot of time practicing Tai Chi. And then I also practice another hard style martial art called Tong Sudo. And um, yeah, so I hang out and practice breath. But it's similar. It's similar to birth. It's mind, body, breath connection. And if you don't know what to do, just go back to your breath and you'll find mm-hmm. your way through. Yeah. Start uh, over and try again. Start over, try again. Just take another deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. So I read on your website um, that you grew up in Northern California and mm-hmm. that most of your peers were born at home and that your mom's friend was a midwife. Do tell, because that's not ordinary. <laughs> oh, well, it was where I grew up. I grew up in this little tiny mountain community called Concow. And actually, that campfire that just came through, it's its tragic. It devastated Concow. It burned it um, to When the near Paradise? Yes. So Concow oh is goodness. just like 45 minutes outside of Paradise up in the Feather River Canyon. And so, so yeah, but when I grew up there, it was this lush forest and there were a bunch of like back to the landers. It was the seventies. It was full of hippies. And, um, so there were some friends, you know, that had a dome and there were twins born there and they were our good friends. And then my cousin was born at home. And then, yeah, so most of my peers, were born at home. It was a very small community and the midwife, her name was Diana King and she had red hair and she was good friends with my mom. And, um, so it was really normal. I was actually like 11 or 12 and I heard somebody say, Oh, so-and-so had a baby and they were at the hospital. And I was like, Oh, what, why, what happened? Is everything okay? And then they were like, all babies are born at home. I'm like, what? No, they're not. They're born they're bored at their house. And she's like, you're weird. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, um, and then when we moved away from California, we moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I moved right down the street from a midwife. And so I ended up going to meet her and being friends with her family. And so midwifery, you were just, yeah, midwifery has always just been a natural part of my life. Like I didn't find some exotic thing searching out to do it was just with me always it's always been with me yeah right how old were you when you saw a baby born oh when I was 11 I saw my sister be born um and actually I just in January my sister gave birth so I saw my sister be born when I was 11 and then recently I saw my sister give birth so that's pretty neat Uh, yeah. yeah it is 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. So you and I have some similarities in that. I, th- I think I was okay. about 12 when I saw, yeah, my sister-in-law have a home birth. But I also read that um, you sat for your state midwifery exam when you're with your newborn mm-hmm. in a sling. And that that hit home so hard because that's what I did. Um, I think it was about six weeks after I graduated from nursing school as an RN. And about, oh, five and a half weeks after I had my second baby in, you know, less than a year and a half. And so I had a newborn and I was sitting for my nursing uh, exams, my, my boards, and I wasn't allowed to take her into the testing center. So my dearly beloved sister, Peggy, um, sat in the car with the baby in the parking lot all day long and just waited so that I could dash in and out for breastfeeding breaks whenever the proctors would let Mm me. (laughs) And I, I, I read your part about that and thought, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell, well, tell me so what happened to you. Well, it's at the health department down in Little Rock, and it's this really tall building. And uh, so we're on the top floor, and my husband was in the lobby because no one could go in there. And um, I was I was one of like three or four other testing candidates at the time. And just my son, Sequoia, bless his heart, he was just crying and crying and crying and crying. You know, and so I'm trying my best. And then finally, the, one of the proctors was like, just, just bring him in. I'm like, if I could just nurse him, he'd be fine. And so she's like, just bring him in. And so I put the sling on and nursed him and then just continued with my test. And, um, everybody was grateful that he could just come in, you know, and I was really grateful that they didn't say, <laughs> send my husband out to the car, you know, cause that could have been the other option. Yeah. But no, he got to come in and he yeah. nursed and yeah. fell asleep and we all took our test and we did great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. And you passed yeah, at the top of your class. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. W- women in the postpartum period do yeah. magnificent things sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes it's little simple yeah. things that we do, yeah. and that feels pretty magnificent that we did it. And sometimes they're like major life events that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just magnificent that we get a shower in the laundry exactly. done on the same day. Exactly. Or just like a shower. Laundry too? Well, that's kind of asking a lot. <laughs> no, that's that really is. I take it back. I'm sorry. I'm oh, I'm doing laundry okay. as we're okay. recording. So what you know, yeah. it's on my mind. That's all. That's all. Forgive me. Forgive it. <laughs> so you you've um attended well, a lot, a lot, a lot of birth in the home birth world we don't it's not so much about volume it's more about quality not quantity so but I have attended probably I've I should know the number I was thinking about that today but it's between 300 and 400 so it's not tons of births but it is it took me 17 years to do it (laughs) and it's given taken all my effort and heart into it so yeah yes so (laughs) you you mentioned um home birth so I I think that a lot of listeners are still a little bit unclear about the differences between different types of um, midwifery practices. And there's, they're more familiar with certified nurse midwives than they Mm -hmm. are with certified practical midwives or certified midwives. And I wrote about it um, quite a bit in the, in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, but not everybody's read it yet. Not everybody is familiar. So I want to make sure that listeners know the differences. And, um, you know, like I said, CNMs are going to be the, if you've got a midwife in your obstetrician's practice or at your hospital, 
probably going to be a CNM, a certified nurse midwife. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're at home or in an out of hospital birth setting, it's probably going to be a CPM. Correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Have, okay. And, what else and- do people need to know? Well, you're in Portland, so you, my sister lives in Portland, and so you have this really kind of rich tapestry of birth practitioners where you can have a CNM in the hospital and in birth centers, and there are CNMs that attend home births in Portland. But now I live mm-hmm. in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and so Arkansas, and Fayetteville in particular, is a little oasis of birth, right? And so mm-hmm. everywhere around here, except for maybe in Little Rock and central Arkansas, most people are having run-of-the-mill hospital births. And um, there are very few CNMs that even work in our state and in these hospitals. And um, but they're they're wonderful practitioners. They're trying to offer the women um, a more natural perspective, um, with the best that they can do. Understanding that most women don't really understand in our area is really different than your area. Don't under, understand yeah. like informed choice and informed decision and their birth plans and taking all this into their hands unless they're having a natural birth with a midwife. And so with in a CPM certified professional midwives, they can work in birth centers, but these birth centers are going to be freestanding birth centers and they mm-hmm. can in our state do home births. But in our state, CPMs are not going to have hospital privileges. And so Mm -hmm. CPMs can be trained a couple of different ways. There's not just one path to midwifery. So I was trained because I went to a meek accredited school. It was called Arkansas Midwife School and Services. And it was meek accredited. It was a two-year accreditation. And then going to that school, it gave me it prepared me to take that eight-hour exam that we just discussed and then also to take my state licensing exam. However, mm-hmm. there are some people that go the apprenticeship model, and that's just as a valid model as the academic training as long as the preceptor is and the preceptor program, the apprenticeship program is organized in a way that you're meeting all your marquees and that when you really, in the end of the day, it boils down to the, your birth experience and your skills, your ability to demonstrate your skills and your ability to pass a very rigorous test. And so however you get mm-hmm. to that place, either you do it through an accredited program or you do it through apprenticeship, at the end of the day, you have to jump through those same hoops. Right. And so um, those women, they become certified professional midwives. Like you. Like yeah. me. Yeah. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in in the United States especially still have concerns about home birth, even though, mm-hmm. um, you know, scientific tests and studies have overwhelmingly corroborated that they are safe in most circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can go find those studies. They're not hard to find. Mm-hmm. What I think a lot of people don't understand is that the safety of any home birth is reliant somewhat on an emergency backup plan and in mm-hmm. the screening of candidates who are going to have a home birth. And I'd like to kind mm-hmm. of explain that a little bit to you know, listeners who aren't real familiar with how it works. A lot of people are still thinking, oh, birth, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Nuh-uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily. And, you know, in this in this day and age where 
hospital births are, are being associated with so many un- unnecessary medical interventions. <clears throat> For some women in some settings, in some situations, home birth might be this option that makes the most sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely want to address your ER backup plan and the risk assessments. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm, I also mm want to just throw in one other piece of of safety. So, I mean, I I would just kind of want to jump here real quick. In the end of the day, our maternal and fetal mortality rate, at least in Arkansas and in our nation, Mm -hmm. is not really improving. However, our cesarean section rate is skyrocketing, our induction rate is skyrocketing, our um, the feeling of feeling of dissatisfaction of their birth experience and not knowing, not feeling like they were able to uh, make decisions for themselves, um, mother baby separation. None of those, um, none of those statistics are improving with our unnecessary medical interventions. So it's really kind of mm-hmm. a question of what are you feeling more safe with? Because in mm-hmm. the end of the day, you want, we say in our life, we say our, in our communities, we say, oh, you had a happy, healthy baby, you know, and that's like the baseline. Of course, we're going to have yeah, a happy, healthy mom. Yeah, but we want a happy, healthy mom, too. And you want to have a, yeah. a, a gratifying experience, at least one, even if your birth didn't go the way you wanted it to go, at least you want to have an experience where you knew what happened and why why it happened the way it happened and what right. the cascade of events, then you know exactly what triggered that cascade of events and why those decisions were made on your behalf. Like that, and that um, you had some agency in the experience and decision making power. Absolutely, and yeah. so in in my practice, uh, the risk assessment is what filters out and what is what we utilize to decide if someone is a good candidate for a home birth. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, if it's your, it's a pretty broad. It's pretty broad. So, like, what's a good candidate for a home birth? In in Arkansas, your your state's going to be different, but in Arkansas, it is going to be they have not had a previous cesarean section. They have a baby <laughs> that's head down, uh, vertex presentation. They mm-hmm. have stable blood pressure. They do not have hypertension. They do not have twins or. Um, breaches. I already said cephalic presentation. So mm-hmm. essentially it's that, or there's some other kind of under our gestational diabetes. Those are the, the categories. So if you have a baby that's head down, one baby, no previous cesarean section, blood pressure stable, and your blood sugar stable, and you're, you're measuring normal, you're not, you're not, um, your fundal height hasn't grown too much, or you're not measuring too small, you're having good adequate fetal movement, and um, all your lab tests are normal, then yeah, you're going to be a perfect candidate for a home birth. And a big, a big benefit of a home birth is that you're seeing the same practitioner. So that same practitioner has seen you for months. And also with a home birth, instead of waiting for an hour and visiting with your midwife for five minutes, you wait for five minutes and visit with your midwife for an, for an hour. And so what that means yeah. is you know each other intimately. You know 
this midwife knows what you've been eating. She knows your fears. She knows what your relationships are like. She knows that baby's position because she's the same person that's palpated a bunch. She knows when there's a sudden growth. She knows when there's something different. She knows when your blood pressure spike because she's been paying specific attention to you instead of versus just walking in the room and looking at the chart and suddenly hoping you saw everything and making a major decision on glancing at the chart for five minutes because you're in a rush because you have to be in a rush because you have so many other people waiting for you. And so that's specifically yeah, it's an entirely different model. It's an entirely different model. So when you're saying, Oh, you've been to so many births, I did, but I also made it so that I would only go to one to three births in a month because that way I could mm-hmm. give everybody excellent care, plus give myself care and my family care mm-hmm. and not be mm-hmm. in the state of like not knowing what's going on with my clients. And then we also spend a lot of time educating our clients. And so you mentioned ER backup plan. And so part of my care has always been childbirth class. And so in the childbirth class, it's not something extra. It's actually, if you've not had a home birth, it's a requirement to take the childbirth class. And in that first class, you're going to learn all about how to write your birth plan, all about your supplies. And then the next class, you're going to learn all about normal labor, all the things that start before you go into labor, normal labor, your um, all the stages of labor, first stage dilation, transition, and then pushing, and then third stage. And I bring a placenta and I show them the placenta. So all about normal labor. And then on the third class, we talk all about complications. I kind of want to take a step back. Back in that first class, I also talk about unnecessary interventions. So with your birth plan, Mm -hmm. I just line them out with these unnecessary interventions. And so then after you've gone through normal labor in the second class, and then in the third class, we go over complications. And then we talk about all those things I told you in a normal labor and a healthy labor that you don't need. Now let's apply them to each one of these potential complications that can show up. And um, if these potential complications show up, here's why you would have an induction. Um, Here's Mm -hmm. why a a compassionate use of pain meds could be beneficial. Here's why amniotomy might be. Here's why someone would use a vacuum extraction. Here's why it would be appropriate to have a cesarean section. You know, here's what you may, this is how you manage a postpartum hemorrhage. And so that class stirs them up a little bit. They're like, oh my goodness, he just talked about every possible thing that could go wrong. And I'm like, take a step back. We also just talked about the solutions to all the things that could go wrong. And so then the fourth class, we process all our hopes and our fears and our feelings related to birth and like what we're really afraid of. And then at the end, we do a blessing way. And so the point I'm trying to make is when we go through your prenatal care and you have your childbirth classes, you're equipped with the information And then the next step is you're close to birth. So we do a home visit. And in the home visit, we write out that where they have their home birth plan set up, written out. And we go over that birth plan. And that birth plan talks about all the things about normal labor, their utopian. I call it your utopian plan, where it's just everything you want it to be. And then we... They have it written out, an ER backup plan, one page, short and sweet, right to the point. In the event of these situations, these are my choices. This is my, um, these are my decisions. And we have that in the chart. And if ever we need to transport or transfer, I always call ahead. I have a few 
locations depend we always just go either to the closest if it's an emergency you just go to the closest hospital and if it's non-urgent transport Mm -hmm. then you want to go to the friendliest hospital and so but nonetheless Mm -hmm. you always call ahead you tell them your situation you tell them you know what her blood type is what's unfolding how long it's going to take you to get there and then when you get there you've got the chart and you stay present and you help her have that baby and you stay with her until the end and then you continue your care postpartum care up to six weeks because you can't just be like well well that was tough you went to the hospital you have to like now she needs so much more care because she was planning a home birth not that she might need so much more physical care but there's a lot to process you know, because you had you sure, had this one sure. expectation yeah. and then it became something else. However, I do have to say a lot of the women in my practices that have transferred, some of the comments that I've heard over and over was I was prepared. I was prepared to have this home birth and I was really prepared for the hospital and it didn't surprise me. I wasn't caught off guard. I knew what to expect. And as much as I didn't like it, I got good care and I... Um, I feel satisfied with my birth experience because I knew it from the beginning that this was part of the potential plan. Hmm. Good. Does that make sense? So some, it does. So somehow over all of these hundreds of births, you also established an herbal company. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how did that happen? Well, it happened from being, you know, so, um, when I started my apprenticeship and my academic, my midwifery training, I didn't have a child. I wasn't pregnant. And so it was throughout my midwifery education that I met my dashing husband. And then I, um, you know, then I was pregnant. And it was at the very end of my pregnancy that I gave, uh, sorry, the very end of my apprenticeship that I gave birth. And then I took that exam, right? And so... A big part of my herbal um, experience came from myself and my own pregnancy. When I was pregnant at the time, I, there weren't a lot of herb companies around or that I could just have access to really delicious herbal pregnancy teas. It was like get a couple pounds of red raspberry leaf from Canada. And so I, it was me that was like, I want to make, you know, this nourishing infusion of nettle and oat straw and red raspberry leaf and peppermint and rose hips. So I want to make that for myself. And so that's how that started. And then also in the postpartum herb baths started when um, my mentor midwife, she was an herbalist too, and she had an herb bath for her clients. And, and just like all of our clients took herb baths, so it was normal. And then in my apprenticeship, I needed to earn some money. So I was like, oh, I'll, uh, I'll be a doula. And I'll, um, that'll give me hospital birth experience and I'll, um, get paid and it'll be a great, great complimentary, great compliment to my training. And so I started to be the doula and I went to these hospital births and none of these women took herb baths and it was like really pulling teeth to get them to take an herb bath because, but they wouldn't because the doctor said to not take a bath. And all of their like perineal healing and their postpartum recovery process was just drawn out so much longer. I'm like, girls, if you would just get in the bath, I promise you'd feel better. Um, Yeah. And so that really came from like, once I saw the comparison of the women that don't do it versus women that do do it, it's like hands down, obviously the postpartum or bath. And so then I had this baby that we talked about, Sequoia, that cried, right? When I was with him trying to breastfeed him, 
I just couldn't make very much milk. Maybe I was stressed out. You know, you're you're this midwife, and all of a sudden, you know the answers for everybody else's problems, but you don't know the answers for your own problems. And I was struggling with breastfeeding, right. and I was really struggling. And so I created Let There Be Milk, the first version of it, and I was drinking it as a tea. And oh my goodness, it is bitter and tastes really, really hard. And so. I was like, okay, but the benefits are worth it. And then I started to think, oh, if I could uh, grind these things up and put them in a pill. Oh, and then it dawned on me, I'll make a tincture out of it. So it's all from my like trial and error of trying to solve my own breastfeeding problems that I came up with the salve, with our nipple salve, and that I came up with Let There Be Milk. And then... Um, and then now it's in a tincture and, and so it tastes better. And now it's in this liquid vegetarian capsule. And so it doesn't, so it doesn't taste so bad. And now it, it's really effective, but it's from my own personal experience, either taking care of myself or taking care of these <clears throat> clients is how birth song botanicals came into being. And then I had clients, you know, they've had a couple children and they're just like, you know, my postpartum contractions are so intense. And I'm like, let me see what I can do. And so I made Nurtured Mother. And I made Nurtured Mother. And so my next time I had that woman who was the fourth baby, I'm like, come on, girl, try this. And whoa, she was like, this is the best mm-hmm. stuff I've ever had. So I just started trying it out on them. And they were like, this is great. And so now I've got Nurtured Mother. And um, so, so, yeah, I could tell a story about every one of our products that way. A lot of our listeners are, you know, as new to you know, herbal medicine or naturopathy or any kind of alternative healthcare avenue, you know, as they are to midwifery itself. And they're coming at it Mm -hmm. with kind of a a cynical attitude. And they're wondering about the safety standards of Mm -hmm. infusions and supplements. And so how do you address that? Well, so here's one thing. Let's let's use your imagination just for a second. So imagine in front of you, there is a a line and this is like, um, this is a continuum. And so one side of the line, we're placing these herbs on this continuum. And on one side of the line, we have food. And then in the middle, you have medicine. And then on the end, you have poison. So I work with pregnant women and breastfeeding moms and little children. So in this food medicine poison category continuum i'm only going to work with the herbs that are known to be safe to be called nourishing herbs mm-hmm. and they're in the food category and in the food category you they're they're considered food because they're high in vitamins and minerals and they're nutritive they f- nourish your body every once in a while we'll work with a few medicinal herbs like elderberry or yarrow and those herbs you utilize just for a short period of time to create the change in your body that you need and then you stop using taking them and then poisons we don't utilize at all Mm -hmm. and so how I address my own safety is through education you know Mm -hmm. so I went through several herb courses I went through a Viva Rams herbal course and I went through um was called GAIFAM, Global Institute of Alternative Medicine. And so I gained their certifications. And then also, you know, in the beginning, I was making these things in my kitchen. But now all of our products are made in GMP facilities where you would buy 
like the same facilities that produce any supplement that you would buy on the health food store, Whole Foods. So those um, those facilities will not make a an herb like specifically where my tinctures are made. They're a very reputable company, right? And they will not make an herb with known er- herbs that are going to be dangerous to my clientele. They're not going to do that. That's that would be dangerous for them too. So it's so you have this like checks and balances where they're reviewing the the formulas. Okay, yes, these are these are adequate, good standard. They make sense formulas. Okay, we'll produce them. And so and we'll produce them in a facility that's insured and meet all the FDA requirements. Got it. Got it. Well, what else do you want to talk about, Maria? What else do you want listeners to know about? Well, I guess we kind of talked about the herb bath. I kind of want to talk about the herb bath because I, you said um, people are new to um, herbs and maybe new to home birth. And, you know, and so if I were to think about some herbs, I guess I want to talk about a couple of herbal remedies. Like, so if you're new, it's like trying to think about how to meet somebody in the very beginning. And so it's not a huge, uh, you know, leap of faith to take. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the first thing I said herb bath, but I mean, the first thing is when you're pregnant, it's well known to, you want to take good care of yourself. Self-care starts now when you're pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. And you and I right now are drinking a cup of tea, right? And so drinking a cup of tea can just be simple as that, or it can also be really deeply nourishing, deeply nourishing to your uh, your body. Obviously, the herbs are high in nettles, so that's going to be high in iron, and red raspberry leaf is high in iron and magnesium. It's good to create uterine tone, so you can have your your effective Braxton Hicks, so it tightens and relaxes. It doesn't cause Braxton Hicks; it just helps your uterus work optimally, right? And right. it's high in um, oat straw, so it's going to be full of calcium. And then those rose hips in there are high in vitamin C, great for vascular health. And so all that is just good for your body, right? And for your blood vessels and for your uterus. And and if that's all good for that, it's good for your baby, right? Mm. But then also it's good for you emotionally to pause, hold that cup, take a deep breath, inhale it, the, the vapor, smell it, taste it, see the beauty, and drink deep and know that you're just doing something simple, but you're doing something simple every day, every day to keep your healthy pregnancy, to keep yourself healthy and preparing your body for your birth. However, you're planning on giving birth, right? Mm -hmm. You still need to prepare for it. And so tea, pregnancy tea, lady in waiting tea helps you prepare for birth and a lot of different levels. And then, um, so, and then the postpartum herb bath is like, we call it the victory bath. So in home births, like the woman pushes out her baby and then we pause and then when the placenta comes and then we pause and she nurses her baby and she's in if she's not in the bed, we try to get her to the bed. She might have been in the water birth pool, and now we've gotten her to the bed. And she's resting on the bed now, and um, someone's bringing her something to eat, and someone's bringing her something to drink, some some pregnancy tea, and some maybe some orange juice with some chlorophyll in it. 
and she's settling in and meeting her baby, right? And we're monitoring, and but we're also giving her 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 space. This is really a sacred moment right here. And so what we're doing is we're also preparing, cleaning up the kitchen, but preparing her herb bath. And mm. so what we do is we'll clean out the tub and the herb bath has been made already. So essentially, if you get one of our baths, the herbs are loose and you pour all the herbs and the salt into this muslin cloth bag, get a big pot of water boiling. As soon as it's boiling, you put the bag full of herbs into the pot, cover it and let it steep. The longer it steeps, the better. And so at least 30 minutes. And then, so this is all happening while she's greeting her baby. And then when she's feeling ready to get up to go to the bathroom, ready for the next thing, it's usually like an hour or two later, then we'll draw the bath and then her and her baby get in the bath. And um, I always prepare them. Like I talked about childbirth class and prenatally, you are not finished when the baby comes out, you have to do all the things I just said. You have to push out the placenta. You have to stop bleeding. You have to eat. You have to drink. You have to nurse your baby. You have to recover. Once you do all that, then you get up and go to the bathroom and then you get in the herb bath and then you're done. Because if you think you're done when you push that baby out, you're mistaken because you got a couple more hours still of like being focused and paying attention and getting through this whole process safely to the other side. And so yeah. the herb bath becomes this like victory, like the finish line. They, they have been psychologically preparing themselves to get in that herb bath for months. And when they get in there, they're like, Oh, you can see the chill goosebumps, you know, of that pleasure yeah. of them sleeping yeah. in the bath. And then they got their sweet little baby in there and the baby's floating. And then you turn off the lights. So when you light some candles or just make it so there's not a lot of bright light in there. And the baby opens its eyes and looks around. And it is one of the most tender, sweetest moments. And it's the time when the mom <sighs> takes that deep breath and settles in and she kind of gets cleaned up and um, it's a good time to nurse and yeah and then after that after the bath we tuck her in and she goes to bed and then we set it up so she has um, a bath every day for the first five days and then if she tears she might have some more but every day for the first five days and so now for the girls that are giving birth in the birth center or the girls that are giving birth in the hospital, they can still have the bath. It's just not immediately after birth. It's just when they get mm -hmm. home. So right. it depends on, that's part of their birth plan. Part of their birth plan is coming home plan too, right? Their <clears> postpartum <throat> experience. I hear you really talking about um, really creating that postpartum experience. I mean, to me it is essential. It's often overlooked and forgotten. And postpartum for so many women is so stressful. And yes, there yeah. is an element of stress, but it doesn't have to be. And so a little bit of preparation with meals and having somebody help you with your bath. So what you could easily do is if it seems like the right time in the flow of not being too exhausted is when um, you're on your way home, somebody else could already be at the house, kind of getting your bed ready and heating up your food and drawing your bath. And then when you come home, you just like take a load off and just get right into that bathtub. 
Get right in that bathtub. Get right in there with your baby. Hold that baby close, skin to skin. And then get in bed and eat and take your rest. And then have your bath and, for the next couple of days. And I know that um, over the month of February, listeners were able, they, they got all the information about where to get the herb bath um, from your our sponsorship mm-hmm. app. But let's make sure that they have that information right now too. Oh, certainly. You can just go to our website. It's called birthsongbotanicals.com. And if you're going to, it's on the front homepage, but if you were to go through the menu, you would see it's broken up and you would find postpartum on the top menu bar. Mm -hmm. And then from postpartum, Mm -hmm. you would see, oh, postpartum products, or you'd see postpartum blog. So it's going to be under the postpartum products. Got it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, listeners can go on over to my website, genefaulkner.com and click on the link there and it'll get you started at least. We'll find your way over there. Wonderful. Yeah. So what else do we want listeners to know? Well, you know, there's a lot. I don't know if we want to segue into um, more things or if you want to know about the herbs and why those herbs are in the bath, what makes that bath so helpful. What do you think? Um, Would you like to know more about midwifery or? Well, we're kind of at, you know, our just about our 40-minute mark here. What What I'd like to do for this particular call is I think I'd like to wrap it up with, Mm -hmm. you know, just a couple of our universal questions. And then, you know, we'll have you come on back on the podcast down the road and we'll talk about some more of the, some more about midwifery and about the herbal specifics. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. 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 So I like to ask people, how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Fill in the blank. Nobody ever told me that. In relation to birth? Hmm. Any, anything you want. I'm pretty generous here. Okay. <laughs> anything. You know, I guess no one ever told me that. And I've learned it. And so maybe it has been told. But just like how wise and how capable and how enduring women are like we we often are heard and seen as like weak right or emotional Mm -hmm. or um Mm -hmm. moody or you know sensitive and it's through that sensitivity and it's through that emotion that ability to love and to feel and interact and be compassionate and to be aware of other people and of our our universe and of ourselves, that sensitivity is where our strength lies. And when I've had the honor of being with women in birth, and a woman may seem like on the outside as like this meek, mild-mannered, someone could walk all over her and she wouldn't ever stand up for herself. And then in the moment when she's in birth, she takes a deep breath. She goes inside, she taps into something inside herself that she didn't know she had, and she pulls out some radiance and power that is so beautiful and immense that there's no word to describe it until you see it or experience it yourself. Mm. Well, that's a beautiful description. Perfect. Well, then my last question for you is this. Where are you in the world of motherhood? 
Where am I in the world of motherhood? Well, I have a son. His name is Sequoia, and he's 14. I'm in my 40s, and I feel really satisfied with one child. People ask me, oh my goodness, you're a midwife. How come you don't have a bunch of children? And I say, um, well, if I had a bunch of children, I wouldn't be able to take care of you <laughs> and all your children. Um, mm -hmm. No, but I feel mm -hmm. like I've, I feel like I've gone through birth. I've gone through miscarriages. I've gone through hard labors. I've gone through uh, breastfeeding challenges and joys. And um, yeah, and, and I'm liking how we've grown up as a family together. Like we've all just kind of we were all born that day when Sequoia was born as a family and we've just grown up together. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Well, Maria, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Yeah. And I think it's a great opportunity for listeners to learn more about, you know, some of the, some of the different options that women have for their own care. It's important. Yes. Yeah. Especially because these options are all they're not big decisions <laughs> you know right. they're simple right. they they all base around self-care and nourishment yeah well thank you we'll talk again down the road thank you mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this mama said, mama said, mama said we want to say thanks to our sponsor birthsong botanicals for helping us keep the lights on here at common sense pregnancy parenting and politics check out Let There Be Milk Tincture and Supplements over at birthsongbotanicals.com and don't forget to use the promo code COMMONSENSE at checkout for your 10% discount. You can learn more about this week's guest, Maria Chaudhuri, over on the, on the Birdsong Botanicals website and you can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com and yes, I'll spell it J-E-A-N-N-E Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R Com. And hey folks, if you're coming to Portland or you're in another city and you're interested in jumpstarting a writing career or maybe a group, organization, or a company's creative writing potential, head on over to the workshop section of my website and get in touch, will ya? Um, or if you want to have me come on out and talk to your group about common sense pregnancy, parenting, and politics. This is something new I'm doing, and I'm real excited to share that with you. Uh, about the workshops, I just feel like there are so many new potential and or stalled writers out there, and we need you to fill up our reading spaces with worthwhile stories. So if you have a story, blog, op-ed, or book rolling around up there, or know someone who does, it's there for a reason. Maybe that reason is that someone else desperately needs to read it. Let's get it out there, okay? Check us out over at jeanfaulkner.com workshops. Tweet me, Jean Faulkner. Find us over on Instagram at Common Sense Pregnancy, one word. And of course, we're over on Facebook too. Email your questions and we'll try and answer them. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks, everybody. Let's talk again next week. Bye-bye.
If you're looking for easy ways to feed your family, I've got you covered. Hi, this is Liz Weiss, dietitian, mom, cookbook author, and host of the Liz's Healthy Table podcast. Tune in for healthy recipes, expert advice, and a big helping of fun. Come find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the Parents on Demand Network, or over at my website, Liz's HealthyTable.com.